Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Hyperborean Radio. This is, as always, our super secret broadcast, as most people are unaware that it exists. So we welcome you. This is Celtic God. With me today is the Lore Keeper. We are going to be discussing Vikings today. So hold on to your panties and uh, let's get into this. How are you doing today? I'm doing just swell. And... Today we're talking about something that I think is very important, which is something I've had trouble communicating to people for the longest time, which is not everyone is a Viking, and that's okay. Not everyone is Norwegian or Swedish or Danish, and really, truly, that's okay. And today we're going to get into why that is and kind of some of these weird issues that have cropped up in Norse paganism. And as we've said before, myself and CG, we are not what you would call Norse pagans. But Norse paganism has effectively become this thing that's treated akin to another founded religion, like Sikhism, Islam, Christianity, where it's something you convert to regardless of any level of ancestral involvement. And I am aware that there is nothing I can do in you should, if anyone horribly disagrees with me on this, feel free to realize I can't reach through the screen and grab you. But if you are someone that believes in venerating pretty much any deity that you want, I literally can't stop you. I personally don't view that as ethnic faith. You could classify that as polytheist or pagan, but ethnic faith, really not so much. And most people... I've, I've got to be the one to be the bearer of bad news, are not Norwegian, Swedish, or Danish. And mo- many people don't even really have that ancestry. And most people, when they use Viking, that's re- what they're referring to. But really, it was a profession. They, they were raiders. Yeah, it was a profession. It's not a genealogy. To say that well, I'm part Viking, is to say, I am part milkman. I am part mechanic. It was a profession. Um, granted, the profession had a tendency to come from a particular region. However, it must be noted that this profession also took on mercenaries, for lack of a better word, from other regions. Completely, well, not completely unrelated because they're still Hyperborean, but from the, the Celtic areas both Scotland and England. They would take on raiders from uh, what's now England. They would take on raiders from down down through the coast of France and, and Spain even. Um, there would be people that would come from inland Germany to go raiding with the Vikings. And the Vikings meaning the raiders or pirates is another word. Like the Irish pirate. That's a huge section of of history in that little corner of Europe. The Irish pirates, the Scottish pirates, they were feared. And they were feared worldwide, actually, if you delve into it. It's really interesting. So does that mean, since my family came from Ireland, that I have pirate blood? Uh, I hope everybody sees just how silly that sounds. But, yeah, the, the lore keeper, he had some things that he really wanted to cover on this. So I'm going to let him run wild with the reins. I'm just going to hand him over and let him go nuts. 
So, like I was saying, and as CG mentioned, Viking was a profession. And in many cases, it wasn't something someone did for a long time. And they've sort of transposed Viking on top of anyone on anything that had to do with the Norse religion, which in this case I am referring to the Scandinavian region specifically, so Iceland, Denmark, uh, Sweden, and Norway. I'm not including the West Germanics. I understand that there was influence from those areas on other areas. I'm not denying that. Some people seem to think that because I say they're not the same as this, I'm denying the very idea that there could be bleed over. I'm not, but most people, when they hear influence, they think one for one, and I think this is a gross misunderstanding. Um, one of my biggest beefs, honestly, is the general dishonesty and laziness that will occur when people write about these gods and these cultures. Right, and recently, and by recently, I mean in the last day, you've read two books that are perfect examples of this general attitude. Um, would you care to discuss that at all? Oh, oh gods. <laughs> so, I read two books recently, and I'll even give you the names of them. Uh, Freya, the Great Goddess of the North, uh, who I forget what the name of the author is, but and then the other one was Witches and Pagans, Women in European Folk Religion, 700 to 1100 AD by Maxine Dashu. And to their credit, Maxine Dashu's book had a lot of good information and some useful tidbits, obscure knowledge, things like that. But it turned into what I would describe as a effectively feminist diatribe effectively talking about how all the male gods were patriarchal usurpers of this cult of the great goddess that has no real basis in reality. And it, the Scandinavians aren't the only ones to get this. But I was reading both books at the same time, because it's what you do. And both of them contradicted each other so many times it was getting hilarious. Like, one was arguing uh, that the giants indicated an older faith, which there's more evidence to support the idea that the giants are either nature gods um, or that they were sort of older deities that were displaced by more uh, quote-unquote civilized, you know, effectively like the culture of the countryside being replaced by the culture of the city, that sort of thing. Now, this isn't proven, so I wouldn't take that as fact, but it, there is evidence to support it. The other one goes full on the giants were evil. Well, kind of what I was getting at, and both books are guilty of this, is where what they did was take the Scandinavian... Basically, they went monotheist with it, or um, I forget the term for two. Um, not by. Dualist. Yes, thank you. Um, or dualist with it. And as a result, what they ended up doing was taking the Scandinavian... Um, pantheon although pan uh, there's a whole thing with that i'll just skip over that for now um and what they ended up doing was jamming all these goddesses because i believe both these books focused on the goddesses more so than anything else mentioned other stuff but really focused on the goddesses and they ended up turning every goddess in europe and outside of europe into freya 
Well, it wasn't quite that extreme, but it was pretty darn close. Um, let's see, what are the goddesses that they fused into Freya? There was Ire, Vola, Hulda, Perchta. Uh, they also did Golveg, Frigg, Gafjun, and, and many, many others. And that was just the ones that are in the North and West Germanic. That wasn't even getting into others. Um, they also do multiple... They also... In that one book, they also performed multiple um, arguments that were not substantiated and then built their arguments off of them. One of the most notable that I noticed that actually is one of my biggest gripes is I don't know how many people are aware of the Nibelungen Lied, which is the most famous sort of German epic. It was used as part of the foundation for Wagner's Ring Cycle. And the person used the operas as if she had actually read the Nibelungen line because she brings up a scene with Freya and the Rhine Maidens or uh, Freya, it's weird how the name's described. But basically, she was talking about the, the operas as if they were the actual epic. They were not. The, Wagner's operas are actually mostly based on Norse myth and he effectively created a roughly original story around them. Um, he is not going by the exact folklore or uh, epics or sagas. He is he created a masterpiece. I won't dismiss it. But it's the equivalent of people that think Odin is the father of Thor, Loki, and Hell because they saw Marvel movies. And then treating that as if they had read the Eddas. And it's something that I've noticed, and it's because people are interested, but there seems to be this divide in the Norse faith between people that are in it because it's popular right now. You've got Vikings, you've got, um, oh, frick, I forget what it is, but there was one that was set in Britain. Um, there's another, there's, not that one, it was a different one. Um, and then there was also the Marvel movies. So it's really popular right now. But very few people are actually bothering to do more than adopt the aesthetic. Well, one of the things that I find just absolutely amazing here, and I brought it up when you were pointing out aspects in, the, in these books, is somebody could sit down and, in a scholarly fashion, literally write down the Marvel movies, the Thor comic books, and the Loki comic books, sprinkle in some words like Eddas, Sagas, uh, Havamal, uh, Hopspringa, is that one of, I don't know, uh, but sprinkle in these words and then people would pick these up and just run off with them as if it's legit rather than looking at the lore itself, which is one of the things that, that I always push is get as close, get as close to the original lore as you can. And granted, we have to work off from, off from translations. But don't just read one translation. Read as many translations, as many versions of it as you can, and you will get closer to, to the actual stories themselves. Don't read what CG has to say about it. Don't, and, and take it necessarily to heart. All we can do is, or, or the lore keeper himself even, because all we can do is run it through the lens that is us. It's not necessarily a given fact. The, the lore should be able to stand on its own. 
Well, and I can seem rather hard-headed, but my general opinion is I am not going to treat something as fact if it is unproven. Uh, one of this, these notable examples is I used to, when I first got into paganism, I treated Odin, uh, Othan, Wotan, Wode, and Woden as identical deities because I was told when I was first getting started that they were. And then one day I kind of just asked the question, you know, are, is there anything to actually guarantee this or are we just going off of a loose etymological connection? Which is very flawed when you consider the fact that, especially in Germanic naming tradition, there were many suffixes and prefixes that would get reused over and over and over and over again. And in some cases, those suffixes and prefixes would be names in and of themselves. Maybe with a letter tacked on, tacked on the end. But nobody had anything. They would always come down to, oh, yes, the etymology, it's correct. It, it just has to be. They were basing their entire argument off of an unproven thing. And again, it's fine to do that, provided you admit that it's a hypothesis. Right, and just for uh, an example, Queen Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth, or is it Queen Elizabeth? Maybe you have Queen Mary... Or are you talking about Queen Mary? Maybe Queen Mary or Queen Mary. King George? King George, anyone? Or perhaps it's the other King George. And these are all separate people, which could equally be deities because this was done linguistically. Or King George, King James, King... Um, I can't think of any other kings off, off the top of my head, but... Um, yeah, king, queen, it's the, the prefix that you're talking about. Lord, lady, etc., etc. These things are commonly used. Miss and mister. Well, and this comes into a very important thing, which is just because a figure has a similar name does not make them identical. And in some cases, different gods will share the same kenning because it's just supposed to poetically reference them. So then you have to take context into account. Um, for example, just, just as in a kind of example of how things can get muddied with names, I use a historical example. And this is a meme I saw, which is, oh, so you love French history. Name 14 French kings. And the person's just like, Louis. And then the person's like, that's my fault. I did that to myself. Because there's been so many King Louis. And then if you just use Louis, you know, are you talking about Louis Armstrong? And then people will mix up Louis Armstrong, an African-American trumpet player and singer, with Neil Armstrong, supposedly the first man on the moon. Yeah, so the names, you pretty much have to look at the stories around the names more so than just leaning on entomology or language. or You can't really lean on that stuff too hard. Does it matter? Yes. But is it everything? No, no, not at all. And I, I want, I'm pretty sure you probably remember the author's name because you, you read this part of a book to me and I thought it was absolutely epic. It's, yeah, so I would like you to actually, if you can remember his name, shout out the, uh, the name of the author. But you, you read a section of a book where he was discussing the problem with entomology and even stories. Which is, if you go by the stories, you're going to be far more accurate. But there's, you have to take into account regions as well. But, and, and I know I'm making it, everything sound super complicated. It's not. It's not. Just don't overcomplicate it. But he describes two guys 
on each side of the country. Um, and they, he basically gives them identical lives, identical names. And you would assume that these are the same guy, except for they're not because they don't even know each other. Uh, the author's name was Garden Stone, and I believe the book was um, the Mercury Woden issue or something like that. Which actually brings me to another big misunderstanding, which is um, whenever Mercury is mentioned in, say, um, Germania or any text relating to the Continental Germanics, the automatic assumption is that it's Woden. This is completely false. The first thing is is that Mercury, as would have been known in the popular religion, is not equatable to Hermes. Woden would have been... Not Woden. Mercury would have been a god of trade and um, merchants. That would have been his primary function. And who is getting a lot of the information from these Germanics? People that are going there to trade with them. So, of course, the presence of a deity like uh, Mercury, from their perspective would have been massive but it's it's selection bias it's like if you go to a um a city and you are going there specifically to the nice areas the touristy areas you immediately have a bias as to what is representative there how people live there or if you are going only for food you might ignore mass amounts of culture and you might think food is this enormous part of the culture simply because you're going to all these restaurants instead of going to museums or sporting events or underground fight clubs. There's a very different experience depending on how you view things. Well, and I, I think, I just, well, I've had this thought several times, but it just came back to me again, is that part of this tendency to jam all the deities, because we have a lot of them, into singulars, I guess, is to simplify it. Why the story must be simple or people are just too simple to understand. And no, th this isn't true. You don't have to know all of the stories. That's why a lot of our shows, what we do is we pound on the nature of our people more so than any particular story. And yes, we do a lot of these shows too, but it's because we see people consistently doing the same thing over and over and over again. And once you jam two deities together, it is now easier to place a third onto the pile. Once you got to three, it's easier to take two or three more, throw them onto the pile. And the more that you do it, the easier it becomes. The closer and closer you get to monotheism, which is not good for our people. Well, one of the most ex notable examples of this is Odin. So they'll take Odin and they'll fuse him with Woten, Wode, and Woden. Okay, now you have Woden who is on, who is in England. So. And Woden is sometimes known, Odin specifically, is sometimes known as the hanged god. So no other god can be hanged. So Hearn the Hunter is known to be hanged. So Hearn the Hunter is therefore Woden, who's therefore Odin. And then from there, they're like, oh, that means Odin has horns. This is where they get the idea that Odin has horns, is they've already made two leaps in logic. And then, from there, they combine him with Cernunnos. So now a Gaulish god is also Odin. And then from there, they combine Woden and Cernunnos and this information about her and the hunter, and they make him the green man, because Woden sounds like wooden. And there's also all these gods of nature in the same area. 
And Odin's also the same as his wife Frigg, because they're just the male and female version of the same deity. And Frigg's the same as Freya, who's the same as Geftjun, who's the same as etc, 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 etc. And before you know it, you have a form of monotheism. Whether that monotheistic god has a pussy or a penis is up to the beholder, I guess. Right, and I guess basically one way to look at it is you don't have to know every story ever told about Batman to like Batman. But Batman and, I don't know, uh, The Punisher. Two completely different characters. I think that they even had a crossover. I'm not sure because I'm not that much into comic books. But regardless, that doesn't matter. Batman and The Punisher, two very different characters. Now, what most people do because they want to appear all super smartical, and really it's one of the dumbest things that you can do, is they'll say, oh, Batman and the Punisher, they both fight crime. Um, Batman at one time had gun. The Punisher uses gun. Uh, many guns. They both drive vehicles. They must be the same character. And then next thing you know, you're having a discussion about the Punisher calling him Batman. And the person thinks that he knows what he's talking about because he's never actually picked up one of the comic books to look and see for himself. Don't be that guy. Actually, pick up the stories. And, and don't just read one one translation of it because there are there's issues with translations. Words can be translated many different ways, which can completely change a conversation. There's even even games with it where you just change one word in a sentence, or add one word, or take one word out, and it, to see how funny you can make it. Th these are things I'm sure that we've all seen online. This applies to translations as well. So read many translations. Read the stories yourself. Don't necessarily rely on what J.P. Busybody has to say about the stories. His, his insights might be interesting, but once you actually know the stories yourself, or he might even bring a story to your attention that you haven't read before, that doesn't mean, even if he's wrong about everything in the book, that doesn't matter. Just don't run off with all that. What you do is, oh, hey, he mentions this story I've never heard of. I would like to read that story. And then you can decide for yourself if he's right or if he's wrong. Precisely. And you brought up the Punisher and you brought up Batman. And here's the funniest thing is, let's say that the, the superheroes are two major cults of modern pop culture. There's the Marvel cult and the DC cult. Batman is part of the DC cult and Mar and Punisher's part of the Marvel cult. So they're not even any, uh, part of the modern pop culture pan the same pop culture pantheon. And then interestingly enough, if you go even further back, um, and there's a figure on YouTube, I think Razorfist, and he is a very big fan of something called The Shadow. I've never read The Shadow, but he is very adamant that The Shadow, a lot of the aspects of Batman a lot of the aspects of Batman are um, basically ripped off of the shadow. So now you've got, is the shadow the same as Batman? Is Batman the same as the Punisher? And I know this seems kind of ridiculous, but it's just using more well-known characters that everyone would laugh at if you tried to say the Punisher and Batman were the same figure. It's the same thing. It's just instead of using pop culture figures, you're using actual deities, which is far more higher in the repercussions that can come from said conflations. Right, and really it all comes back down to we're not all Vikings and that's okay. It's actually wonderful that we aren't all Vikings. 
Because if we were all Vikings, we wouldn't have artisans, for instance. We wouldn't have farmers. We wouldn't have people that build buildings or uh, sew clothes or um, teach our children. And even even the Vikings themselves, to get down into historic uh, into a historic sense from these regions, almost nobody was a Viking. It'd be like saying the equivalent of all Americans are soldiers. That's blatantly incorrect. We all know that to be incorrect. All the people in England are all soldiers. Incorrect. Um, there is, I think, one country where that would be a more true statement than false. Isn't that Finland? Where they, they have to join the military to be able to, to vote or something like that. So there you're more correct, but you're still wrong because, no, they're, they're not all soldiers. Well, and this brings me to... Because myself, and I'll admit this is partly where I have a bias, is it is actually something that aggravates me that people have this assumption that I am a Norse pagan just by virtue of I'm not a Southern European, and I am fairly open about being uh, a practitioner of European ethnic faith. There's this automatic assumption that I am Norse. I'm not Norse. I don't have any Scandinavian blood. I have no interest in absconding with their culture as a form of spirituality. This doesn't mean there isn't obvious bleed over. Several of the deities, especially those that are based more in southern Scandinavia, do bleed over into northern continental Europe, as well as part of England. But it's not a one-for-one. One. I mean, the traditions of a deity are, n are not the same tribe to tribe, let alone or across an entire continent. It's just not possible. These weren't mandated. These weren't... I guess the way to say it is pantheons are not a thing. Pantheons are constructed by whatever cults are in the general area, and then people write stories. And there might be some deities that are sort of joined at the hip, like Demeter and Persephone, or Freyr and Freya. But genealogies and stuff like that, really not a big deal. And you're going to actually have cults that spread... You know, like in Roman religion, which was a complete clusterfuck, it had so many different influences. There were native Roman gods, and then there were native Roman gods that were conflated with Greek gods, and you had this weird hybrid deity that was both and neither, and depending on who you asked, there were vastly different interpretations. So it's this whole mishy-mashy-wibbly-wobbly mess, and that's okay. Well, and my comparison to comic books... It's not to disparage the folklore. It's not to disparage the mythology, whichever word it is that you want to use. What it is, is it's to show the breadth and width and just how easily things can, can get mucked with. So, again, I'm going to go back to the comic book um, uh, analogy. We know that there's many storylines to Batman. Right, right now, we, we're aware of this. There's a difference between... The comic books and the movies. There's different versions of Batman in the movies. There's different versions of Batman in the comics. And that's within the comics themselves, within the movies themselves. Now imagine, uh, 200 years from now, these things, they've almost fallen out. But people still telling the stories to each other. They play uh, games. Who can come up with the best Batman story? And they use it to, to help elevate each other while holding on to the base core of 
the Batman stories, and that's his villains, the, the, the entire Batman universe. But some rich guy, he comes along and says, hey, Batman's dying out. I don't want Batman to go away. So he sets about collecting Batman stories. However, it's one person, whatever stories he can happen to come across, and then, in particular, his favorite ones, the ones that reinforces his notion of self. Are these not the ones that he's going to write down? That's what these books are. That's what the Book of Invasions is. Um, which I'm glad these books were written, but we need to understand that there was more, far, far more than was ever written down. There still is. Um, today, when when we went for our, our morning hike, um, I brought up Thor in, in the clouds, um, Loki on the lightning. This is something that most people are familiar with. To the best of my ability and the ability of some other scholars, because I, I actually looked into it, nobody knows where this came from, but it's still a story that most people are familiar with. Thor in the thunderclouds. He's actually in the thunderclouds, usually in most people's um, reckoning, fighting with giants. And Loki has something to do with, with the lightning, whether he's catching the lightning or throwing the lightning or riding the lightning. There's almost always Loki there. And he's involved with the lightning. But yet this is in none of the written lore that me nor the scholars that I referenced are aware of. So why is this in our common conception? Why do we remember this? And this is the reason why I'm bringing this up is because not everything is written down. So you can't just take the written, the written sample and say, this is exactly what it is. There's folklore involved, and much of it is actually still oral. We just don't realize it because we don't talk about it en masse anymore. But there's all kinds of oral traditions that's still out there to this very day. Well, and to use a more recent form of oral folklore, in America we have the story of Paul Bunyan, the legendary lumberjack. However, and this goes to show just how popular Paul Bunyan is, there are other legendary lumberjacks, ones that aren't even tied into the Paul Bunyan legend. I can't name any of them. I know they exist because I've dug into them before, but their names slip me now. They are not the same as Paul Bunyan. They're just another lumberjack character. Another lumberjack, you know, folk hero or demigod, whatever you want to call them. And that's okay. They might have a ton in common because they cover the same instances. You know, it's like, why are most thunder gods associated with, I don't know, oak trees? It's because oak trees tend to conduct lightning very easily. So if you are paying attention to anything during a thunderstorm, oak trees are going to get struck a lot. And this is just a thing that happens in nature. It's not something super special or esoteric. It's just a reflection of something happening. So if thunder is something you fear or is something that is very powerful to you, you will associate it with a powerful or strong deity. This deity might not even really have much to do before this association with thunder, but it'll happen. And it's one thing that I think is very important to consider is, and I've brought it up before, is this deity associated with this symbol because it's something that represents what the deity is, 
or is that symbol associated with what it's associated with because it was associated with that deity? Well, and I, I'd also encourage people, which it's something that we do actually, where we also take into account the nature of our people because they're reflected in these stories. And understanding our own nature will, in many ways, serves to validate these stories. Um, and it's even these, uh, yeah, pretty much, yeah. It helps you understand the stories. I'm just going to roll with that. Understanding our nature helps you understand the stories. That's part of why we really pound on the nature of our people. Um, from our physicality, Bella's hair, um, all the similarities that we have to the bears, the, the, the importance of bears and folklore, and so on and so forth, uh, that we're semi-aquatic, um, our temperaments, like that we are so kind because we are so brutal. And all these things help you actually understand the folklore and kind of dismiss um, some of the nonsense that's wrapped around it. It also helps you under, uh, it also helps you kind of spot when the Christianity or the Hinduism, which is another common one that's rubbed all over our lore. If you under, if we understand ourselves, we can then spot these influence, these foreign influences and remove them. That doesn't mean that the entirety of the story is garbage just because they've, they've rubbed a little bit of Christmas on it or just or just because Oily Josh rubbed himself off on it. Uh, <laughs> and it doesn't make it completely garbage just because Vishnu schnooed all over it. There's still that, still that core underneath that is us. And that's how these, that, that's how and why these other religions did what they did. Uh, yeah. And again, we're not all Vikings. There's, we have a plethora of tribes. Not everything is Scandinavian. Not everything is Celtic. Not everything is Germanic. They're wrapped around our general nature as Hyperboreans, but these are glorious expressions of the individual tribes. Precisely, and we've gone over that it's it's a part of our nature, and this is even reflected in like historic considerations of the Christian God versus the ethnic heathen gods. Because uh, originally the church did not deny their existence. Sometimes they would just be competing religions, basically. Other times demons or euhemerized people. Um, but they actually would call unbaptized children things like little pagan or little heathen. And unbaptized children, they would go to the heathen gods. The church itself, in its, in its doctrine... If you were unbaptized, and we've brought this up before, baptism is a choice, so if you get it while you're incapable of even understanding what's going on, it doesn't count. Um, you belong to the heathen gods. In other words, you are a part of your ethnic traditions. And this is something that is reflected in most forms of ethnic faith. Uh, Shinto, uh, various Amazonian native tribes their spirituality is intrinsic and it's the same with europeans and for anybody that's like oh there's too many gods to keep track of etc etc look you at don't have to. no you don't have to but i was going to bring up a completely different argument which is the cult of the saints 
even to this day, how many people can keep track of, you know, four or five saints because they're relevant to their own personal tradition? Quite a few. In fact, Jesus is, I think, by the Catholic Church's reckoning, like the fourth or fifth most popular saint that's actually prayed to. Right, and just as far as the saints go, I think that there's somewhere uh, over a thousand of them, I think. So good luck tracking all that. But Christianity is simpler. No, no, it's not. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. And very few people will follow the Bible to the letter. So they're following what I would call folk Christianity, which is basically paganism with extra steps. <laughs> For instance. That's a good way to word it. And I'm, rather than just pulling the mic to myself, I'll just echo for now. That is an excellent way to word it is what they're doing is paganism with extra steps. They are imposing the wild way or Christianity onto the wild way. So they're putting extra steps to it. Why? That's all I had to say. So uh, I'll let you continue. Well, one big example of this is, um, well, I'll use an, an example that's notable in North America, which is um, Santa Muerte from Mexico. This is a blatant death goddess. There's even people pushing in uh, Mexico for uh, the government to recognize a religion that venerates death. Where do people think that came from? That's from the Mesoamerican faith that was there beforehand. Um, I think they have a death goddess or something. I don't know if that's Gibalba or something like that. Um, but that's a big thing. Or in America, um, there's a folk saint that some of the random Protestant divisions have of uh, Johnny Appleseed. Or in Austria, there's Saint Notburga, who is a folk saint that's never been canonized and is a blatant uh, harvest deity, likely covering up either Hertha or Perchta or some similar goddess. Well, here's something that you was reading earlier, and I tripped over it before, but I haven't really talked about it because I haven't bothered looking for it since. But um, the idea, who here likes human sacrifice? Raise your hand. Are you really into human sacrifice? Um, I'm looking around. I'm not seeing any hands raised. Uh, you in back, you don't count. Sit down. We'll get to you later. You'll be the first one up. Okay, so um, you was reading earlier. Uh, I think that was today. Um, about how the Christians were superior to the heathens because the heathens would sacrifice their worst. I say execute, but sacrifice, sure. They, the heathens sacrificed their, their worst, the worst amongst them, where the Christians, they're superior because they sacrifice the best. Now, what's this about human sacrifice? What? Huh? Oh my goodness. Well, and it's it brings us to something we brought up, which is if you take like um, prison executions where the priest is there and the priest says, we give this soul to almighty God to do with as they wish or whatever it is. Human sacrifice. It's pretty much human sacrifice. <laughs> um, because if you go by the definition of a God was invoked and then the person was killed. Right. Where and, and there is actually. um some records are hard to find, but I have tripped over them before where the heathens would, when they would execute somebody, you will never know the gods. You will be severed from your family. You will be severed from the people. You shall be killed thrice, 
three times you shall die. That's not human sacrifice. That's you piece of shit. You are so bad. We are going to kill you not only three times, but we are going to remove you from existence, period. Well, and just to use some pop culture references, because that's what a lot of people know is, would you call, say, the end of Titanic, where um, Leonardo DiCaprio's character chooses to let himself freeze to death to save the woman he loves? Is that human sacrifice? Oh, yeah, he could have been on that door. That was some stupid stuff. Push the bitch up. <laughs> um, but that's an example. Or, like, I think it's the Poseidon Adventure or something. But a lot of people, there's all these instances of people basically sacrificing themselves to save other people. That's not human sacrifice. That is um, the willingness to go die for a greater cause. Now, you can call that human sacrifice, but then that is a grossly misunderstood concept then. Well, and I'd say at that point, they're doing it on purpose just to misconstrue the, the, the intent, the purpose of what's going on. And the thing is, we, we understand, we've always understood death is a thing. It comes to us all as soon as, as, soon as you're born, you're sentenced to death. And we understand that. But we don't wish for our death to be without meaning and so well yeah so you're arguing for human sacrifice no i'm not not at all what i'm arguing for is heroism how many of our heroes died well a hundred percent of them honestly but because they're all dead now um at least our legendary ones but the the my point is, is through many of the epics, through many of the sagas, and there, there's other names for... Basically, those just mean stories. It depends on where they're told and when. But in our stories, our, histor- our historical accounts, there's a lot of heroes that die before the end of the story. And somebody else will pick up their quest, for a lack of a better term, and carry it on. They didn't die for nothing. It's a heroic death. We have the concept of a heroic death. It's something that we appreciate. And sometimes that heroic death includes dying of old age in your bed, surrounded by your friends and family. You didn't die for nothing because you did something. What we hate is meaningless meaningless death. That's where we actually grieve the hardest. It's not that we don't grieve for the hero, for the loss of the hero, because we do. But you want to watch somebody lose their shit, have somebody be murdered in their sleep, run over by a car, fell off from a building, or not even fell off from a building, pushed off from a building. They weren't even, and have them not even be in a conflict. It's just out of nowhere, some random person killed them for some random reason that meant nothing. That's where we lose our shit absolutely lose our shit because it's a meaningless death well and again to bring in pop culture because for better or worse in this secular society we have it's the closest analog the death of han solo and luke skywalker in the the recent star wars movies how many people were freaking angry about that the absolutely pointless death that these childhood fictional heroes that everyone had like a pseudo emotional attachment to 
How many people were pissed when their deaths were basically meaningless nonsense? And that's a fictional character. A fictional character. People were freaking... There were people uh, after the third movie with uh, Kylo Ren, who was a terribly written character, um, who were threatening to freaking burn down Lucasfilm. That's how freaking insane some people are. And granted, that's on the extreme end of crazy, but it shows how much our people value stories. And that's just stories. Now imagine something that is a history you know, it's like the most heroic examples. Like, for example, one famous story that I love, Napoleon, after he was deposed the first time, they are sent, I think, to kill him. And he basically said, tears his shirt open and says, kill me or accept me as your emperor. And everybody's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going with Napoleon. He's our emperor. I mean, that's that's terribly paraphrased, but that's the gist of, of that particular story, yes. Um, well, and that's part of our nature too is we love stories that's why so many people are so upset with media now they have lost the ability to tell a story and this is part of why myself and the lore keeper we get so twisted about um what people are doing with the lore jamming the deities together where they don't belong together and, and pretending that they're all the same character and, and mixing the stories up is because our people we're inherently by our nature we're storytellers we appreciate a good story it doesn't even have to be a story that we particularly like but it needs to be told well it needs to make sense there needs to be a reason a rhyme to it and yeah yeah pretty much and we bring this storytelling nature into the real world um i mean to paraphrase uh death and Christmas hog, Hogfather and Hogfather take the universe and grind it up to the finest power, powder and show me one atom, one molecule of honor, of justice of courage these things they don't physically exist we bring them into reality and we do this through, this, through stories stories that we tell each other stories that we tell ourselves every moment of every day your life is a story and it's important so don't undervalue the stories well and to to bring something important up in regards to the stories that some people forget is even the well-known stories of the olympian gods that's a literary tradition the actual folk religion of the Greeks was not identical to the, the literary tradition that was present in the writings and the oral epics. Uh, and there were many, many different mystery cults and various deities that were considered humans or spirits in another area or completely absent. And it was, it was all wibbly wobbly. It's, it's not as clear cut. And that is one of the most civilized forms of European paganism you're going to find because it was so, simply put, civilized. But it was still really, really complex. Like, deities from the Roman pantheon, like Janus. Janus is one of the most important deities from Roman religion and spirituality. How many people have even heard of him, aside from the month of January? Very few. But he was invoked 
for effectively every god, supposedly. Because to get to the other gods, you had to go through Janus. Or what about um, over in Greek religion? Hestia was a very, very important hearth goddess. Her f eternal flames were in every temple. She was not minor. She was in every home. She was in every sacred space. She has almost no stories. The amount, same with Janus. These deities, the number of stories does not reflect their importance to the people. And we've done this thing where we've taken deities that are, we've taken the deities and we've treated their amount of presence in literature as equivocal to their level of importance. And that is a gross misunderstanding. Well, and I just wanted to bring up um, hate because a lot of people have thrown him in a devil position. And there's some writings actually to kind of support that, I guess, if you want to go that way about it. But he was actually extremely important too. And he was viewed by and large, I guess, as the keeper of the dead, not the punisher. He guarded them. That's really freaking important because in, if you have a linear mind mindset, and I, I don't, I haven't read anything where the that supports that the Greeks believed in reincarnation, but I'm sure that there probably were cults that did. Um, the Lord Keeper shaking his head emphatically, yes. Um, which I, I'm, I'm hold on to that thought because I want to hear about it. But if you have a linear view, you will spend more time dead than alive. However, if you have a, a reincarnation view um this still may or may not be the case but either way a guardian of the dead that's terribly important to safeguard the soul much like hell actually and this is from a variety of lore because there is more lore of hell than just what's in the freaking eddas but in some cases, she is actually viewed as a guardian or a healer of the dead. But um, you you was shaking your head that, yes, there's evidence that there was reincarnation in the Greeks. Well, the Greeks definitely had a concept of reincarnation, as well as the concept of uh, the ability of the souls to transfer over from the afterlife so they could. But similar to the, 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 the quote-unquote Vikings, um, in later stages, as they were more civilized and exposed to outside influences, it became more restricted. You could really only get it if you were like a great warrior, kind of similar to the way Valhalla gets treated. Um, and that's with Elysium. But before, yeah, eventually you could reincarnate. That's how it worked. Um, over time, I think the way Elysium was described at least at one point, which again, the traditions varied, so like a hundred years after a story's written down, it might completely get rewritten with the same overall concept. But Elysium, you would drink water until you effectively had forgotten your old life from like a magic river or something. And then off you went to, uh, to reincarnate. And there's even entire stories in like the Norse where a figure keeps reincarnating and so does his loved one and they keep meeting each other in the field of battle and he and this Valkyrie he's in love with fall in love and die tragic deaths every single time, but they always find each other. So it's there. And there's also the cult of the dead because this is something that is really, really, I think misunderstood is the ancestors. It's not some generic thing. 
It's actually a part of it. Like in Yule ce- in Yule celebrations, the Christmas elves, the Tomte, they're after images effectively of ancestors coming over while the veil's thin. It's not just uh, Samhain Halloween. It's also during that time. In Sardinia, it's not even elves or a deity disguised as a figure that delivers the gifts. It's the straight-up ancestors, and they don't make any two bones about it. The ancestors just break into shops and bring you stuff. Right, and then on the um, on the note here of the Vikings and the gods and the giants and, and spirits and, and whatnot, there's some regions of Europe where the house spirit or the house god actually held the highest status. So what is the difference then between a spirit and a god? The level of importance placed upon it. That, that's the, the easiest way to break it down. You want the simplest answer. There you go. It's the level of importance that's placed upon it. Where you have gods in other realms. Because all of our peoples, so far as I can tell, had, had this. Where the gods were... You have gods in other realms. And, and spirits in other realms. And giants and monsters. And argh, everything in other realms. But then you, you also have the same thing here. Because... The gods, in some cases, they come visit, visit our realm. How they do that, it's never mentioned. Um, same way with giants walking the land, trolls, various monsters. House spirits are always with us. How is that not an important thing? And I don't know if this transfers over. I, I, I do know that the Scandinavians had house spirits. How important they were to them, I don't know because I haven't looked that closely. But... If one group has gods that are the most important and you cannot achieve touching them and there are only ideas that you can think of and feel within your heart, but yet in this in this same region where that is occurring, you have a house spirit that you interact with on a daily basis. You see evidence of it in your home and you hold that up higher. Who's to say who's right and who's wrong? Well, and it's something important to bring up regarding deities is their cults could be very, very small. Like Pan, one of the most well-known Greek gods, he never got off his frickin' mountain. That, that, a mountain in Arcadia. Um, and then um, there's other deities whose cults were freaking massive. Like, for instance, Mercury. It, that, that got all over the place. Uh, largely because of synch- of uh, the Terpitario Romana. But yeah, it was a massive cult. Uh, and same for some other deities. Um, well, basically, if I wanted to make um, Tyr, for instance, the largest Europe- pan-European god, or to at least be viewed this way in a thousand years, all I have to do is get Jeff, Jeff Bezos to leave me all of his money and then give him some poisoned grape juice. Now, now that that happens, I build temples of tear all over the world. Nobody even has to go in them. I just build temples of tear everywhere. I pay scores of, of authors to write about tear. Nobody even has to care about them. And guess what they say in a thousand years? Nobody takes this into account either. 
Uh, that's why I, I actually prefer to look at local customs. What are they doing in this local area? Why are they doing that? What are they doing in this local area? Why are they doing it? I don't look at the elites. I like to look at, well, us plebs. What is it that we're doing? Why are we doing the thing that we're doing? That more reflects a culture than what Bill Gates says about America. Well, and can they survive an onslaught? Because by the idea that Christianity is actively pushing things away, the one the areas that have had absolutely just massacres over this stuff, the fact that a deity survives, that that's insane. I mean, it's either dumb luck or they were that important. Like Krampus. I mean, it's hard to believe the church allowed people to run around in costumes of this deity. I mean, they, they got to call him the devil, but that still means they were running around dressed as the devil. <laughs> That's not exactly something overly, uh, overly positive. So you have this guy. So Krampus is, and it, he's just increasing in popularity because there is some validity that the cults are still growing. Like to use an example, we all, it's pretty obvious that Santa Claus used to be at least one deity. I'd argue many because if nothing, he was, has at least three different figures, Sinterklaas, Belsnickel, and um, uh, Father Christmas, that all bleed into his legend in America. So that's three minimum, and I don't think any of them originate from the same figure. And then on top of that, there's whatever deities made up, and we're hidden beneath these figures. But the cult of Santa Claus, more or less, is absolutely massive. It covers multiple continents. Uh, it has influenced the culture of European countries in sort of a backwards fashion. It's a whole thing. Well, there's entire arguments about Rudolph or no Rudolph when it comes to Santa Claus. So, yeah, it's become a thing. It is legitimately a thing. And I believe it's actually a recognized religion as well. I don't know about recognized, but there are people that explicitly will treat every day of their life as it's, if it's Christmas. They're effectively in a cult to Santa Claus. And it's just the weirdest thing. Right, and there's far worse things to do. Far, far more detrimental things to do because a cult of Santa Claus, what is it that they would then, if they're actually using the lore as the basis, what is it that they're doing? They're, they're constantly trying to reward good behavior punish bad behavior um they're constantly looking forward to the next year preparing for it all year round to bring magic to the world there are far worse things that people could get into so i while i myself i find it funny i can kind of see where they're coming from well and like krampus people will dress up as santa claus some people's entire lives are built around this santa claus identity um, they will actually, you know, put on the weight. But, you know, Santa Claus has a firm round belly, so you can't just add on fat. You have to add on muscle. And then you have to grow your beard out, and you might have to diet or wait till you're old enough where it's gone white on its own, and you embody Santa Claus and all these deities that he have gone into him. And then on top of that, there's actually this heartbreaking video on YouTube where this child that was effectively about to die... Uh, his last wish was to see Santa Claus because he wasn't going to make it to Christmas. And he was terrified he wouldn't be able to see Santa Claus. Um, and uh, this uh, person who plays Santa Claus, he comes in and 
he's giving the kid a toy and they're talking and um, he tells him that he's going to tell you know his elves that he was uh, Santa Claus's number one helper and the boy's like really? and then the boy you know dies in Santa Claus's arms and it's this absolutely heartbreaking story and that's how important these figures are right and now after that kick in the guts I'm going to uh, I'm just going to say three words world's strongest Santa it's a thing you guys should check it out go on YouTube type in world's strongest Santa it's amazing it's it's actually kind of cool and guess what all of these people have in common they're all hyperboreans we're ridiculous and we're also emotional and we're sincere that's who we are that's why these things are important we appreciate stories that's why modern media is falling basically it's falling out of fashion they're trying to bribe us into staying and engaged with it but due to our people if you listen to most of these critics uh, of various shows you listen to what they're saying do you know what the most common complaint is it's their story and they lost the plot they're not even telling a story and if you think about it that's why everybody's angry with modern media they aren't even telling a story when they do tell a story they aren't telling they, they still aren't telling the story they're preaching at you instead and we hate that as a people we absolutely detest that and we have so many stories. We have so many stories. Like, but but paganism is so hard because there's so much to learn. You cannot learn it all. And that's part of the wonder of it. You can spend the rest of your life seeking stories. You will never get them all. Ever. Just, just get that out of your head. You cannot learn all of the stories. But what you can do is live your life on the way and enjoy the stories as you can as as you can grab a hold of them which is the major thing that we push it's our nature and actually living life and then take the stories pick up the stories dust them off and enjoy the stories because they will help you understand who not only who you are but who the rest of us are well and it's also the importance of heroes because i could get into you know the Baltic gods and the Finnish gods and German gods, whether that's Melusine, uh, Vinamoinen, Jumis, uh, Velez, Brez, Janus, uh, Acre Belts, etc., etc. Right, and I, I think that's where, where I kind of lose the explanation is I see very little difference between a spirit, a god, a hero, a you. I see very little difference in these things some are older than others some are more important to me than others but overall i see very little difference and there's a lot of um historical um context to show our ancestors were the same way there's very little difference between a land spirit and a god between a giant and a home and a house spirit very as far as importance goes they're they're all it's not that they're interchangeable but they're the difference is minimal precisely and this is actually what i was about to get into is i could go into all those or i could point out that we're still making them 
like Paul Bunyan, Johnny Appleseed, these figures, they have enter entered mythology. And they echo older ones, and it's not because of some continuation of literary tradition. Like, there's a story where Paul Bunyan basically fights a river god, echoing a Heracles story. Except look at the people that told these stories. They don't know what Heracles is. They might have heard of him, but they don't know the stories. Uh, same with Pecos Bill. He rides a mountain lion uh, with uh, one of his mounts, is a mountain lion with uh, snakes as a reins, which is echoing, you know, the wolves with snake reins that giants used to ride in Norse lore and other European bits. And they don't know these things. And if anyone's like, well, why isn't a wolf? Because in that area, you have coyotes and you have cougars. And which one do you think people are more likely to be able to ride? I don't really think anyone is going to try and figure out how to ride a coyote. Thunder. That was some Thor-esque thunder right there. Um, but it's a whole thing, and you can dig into the lore, and these are really interesting bits in American lore. But then even historical figures have entered this sort of pseudo-deity. Like Joan of Arc, they straight up canonized her as a saint because she was getting an active cult while she was still alive. Well, I mean dead, but still. Right, yeah, she, while she was still dead. Um, <laughs> but very close to her own lifetime. She had actual temples raised to her. And temples destroyed by the church because, well, this is heresy. This is uh, this is a heathen act to do that. So the, the churches destroyed them. I think that there are still some temples, but they was only allowed to exist after she was canonized as a saint. Well, and other examples. Van Gogh. Greatest painter that ever lived. How many people treat uh, Van Gogh's art as a near spiritual experience? I mean, people, I, I mean, I'll actually mention that sometimes I wonder if there isn't an animist quality to how Van Gogh painted. I mean, he freaking painted the wind patterns in uh, A Starry Night. Like, people have pointed this out. And people have this near mythic standard. His story, his art, there's a mythic standing that people place him on. Or Shakespeare. And Shakespeare's or even further than Van Gogh, because people are arguing Shakespeare didn't even exist, and people are fighting tooth and nail against it. And how long until people are like, fine, he didn't exist, but Shakespeare is still Shakespeare. And what do you call that at that point? It's a thing, and I know a lot of people fight the idea of apotheosis and ascension because it makes people feel like our gods are invalid in comparison to Yahweh, but it doesn't. Whether they're ascended spirits, ascended gods, egregores, gods that have always been gods, ascended heroes, ascended ancestors, ancestral spirits, whatever, at a certain point you can't tell the difference, and that's the beautiful thing. Right, well, like some people, they'll, they'll claim that there's more Christian stories than heathen stories. Here's the reality of it, and again, during the hike this morning, I brought this up. If you was to gather all of the heathen stories together into one massive book, and then you lay the Bible down next to it, it's laughable. It's actually laughable. Because the Holy Bible would be less than a pamphlet. Yes, I will count it as a book, but it's a thin book. Next to all of our stories, all of our stories that does its absolute best to describe our people and still falls short, still falls short. But everything that you need to know is in this one thin little book. Come on, come on, you know better than that. What the fuck? 
Well, and that's if you add in the Apocrypha, too. So even with all the extra books that they kicked out because it didn't agree with them, you still would not have a, a candle to the European tales. And it's, it's intrinsic. It really is. And it's something that I think people kind of lose the plot on is this desire for my god can beat up your god. It's nonsensical because all I have to do to make my god invincible is to claim they are. That's all I have to do. I don't even have to go into detail with the story. And here's the thing. This is all you really need if you want to understand a deity. Brief description of what they do and their name and maybe a temperament and what they're typically associated with. Um, and that's it. That's it. That's really it. I mean, this, everything else past that is gravy. Like, for, big in, for a big instance, there was some massive thunder just a little bit ago. I don't know how much the mic picked up. If I had, you know, a child here or someone that was just getting, I'd point to that and say, you know, that's thunder. Like, I had somebody I was talking to, and I was telling them stories about the man in the moon from folklore, which is obviously a continued story of uh, a moon god, whether that's Mani or another one is up for debate. Um, and I pointed them to the moon, and I'm like, if you look at it right, you can see him. You can see the eyes, you can see the nose, you can see the mouth, you can see the man in the moon. And people have run off with this story because, like, uh, for anyone who's seen Rise of the Guardians, which is actually based on some very interesting concept books, um, where folkloric deities effectively are treated as, like, a fighting pantheon, you know, Santa Claus, Tooth Fairy, the man in the moon is sort of the creator and founder of these. He's not the creator of the earth, but he's the defender he takes care of children and he will take these people that did great things and gift them the ability to basically be immortal protectors of children. And this is the continuation of these myths. <laughs> Me trying not to tear up. <sighs> but it, it's it's great and we do we we love stories and we our entire lives are stories. That, that's why they're so important. And that doesn't mean that all stories are made up. Some stories are. But why are they made up? So, And that's, that's why we say things like, you don't need to believe in the gods literally. I myself, I do. I, I believe that they are, are actual literal beings, but you don't have to. The stories, though, these are stories of our people, for our people, about our people who we was, who we are, and who we could be. And this is very, very important. So, yeah. And we kind of tra uh, traversed off from uh, we're not all Vikings and that's okay. Or did we? I think that really we stayed exactly on point. We're not all Vikings. There is no point in trying to jam us all into this Viking perspective. Even Scandinavians, jamming all Scandinavians into this Viking perspective. It's not accurate. It's not healthy. Um, trying to, They used to try and jam us all into Rome. They used to try and jam us all into Greek. Now they're trying to jam us all into Scandinavian. We are not all of any one of these groups. It's all of these groups come together to create who we are as a people, as a broader people. And that's fantastic. That we can have both the shared biospirit and these these wonderful little expressions of uniqueness within. 
So there are a couple things I want to do uh, before I finish off, but just to prove my point that you don't need a ton of information, because I'm going to read you something I wrote, which is a bit, a bit from the God of the Day book I'm trying to get done. And this is a relatively unknown Frankish god, which, you know, like every god that's relatively unknown, there's like, oh, is he real? Well, let's, let's see what you think. Lawless. Lawless, the green lord. Durlul, the one who speaks, the son of dawn's light, is a Frankish deity who is venerated in southern Germany. Lawless is a Romanized spelling of his name, indicating his original name may have been Lol or Lul. He is a deity who is venerated in areas such as Franconia, Hesh, and Bavaria by the Chatti and Franks, among other Germanic tribes. He was especially venerated along the main river in Franconia, where it is said an idol of his stood inside a sacred grove. He is depicted as a youth. He wears a cloth around his waist and holds his tongue. Around his neck is a necklace of poppies, while in his hand he holds a cup of wine from which sprouts ears of grain. His name supposedly means the one who speaks, and he was venerated beside Diana, who was likely a Germanic goddess such as Ostara or Hala. When, when St. Killian came to Franconia, it is said that he sunk the idol of Lawless into the main river, though the people of the area built a new idol to Lowell soon after. He is sometimes referred to as the Son of Dawn's Light, and is likely considered the son of goddesses such as Yastre. He is purported to have Freya as a consort. In Pennsylvania Dutch and German folklore, De Lull, as he is called, is the Green Lord, the protector of winter greens and their plant spirits. While most of the plants go dormant, and their spirits ride in the wild hunt with Hala, others retain their liveliness or prepare for spring growing throughout the frigid winter. Derlol is considered the defender and caretaker of their spirits. His breath warms them and his hands protect them. All this while King Frost and his warriors continue their frigid warpath. He is also tied into lullabies and the combination of poppies and speech indicates he may have had a soothing speech component and contributed to the restful speech that allowed for rest and healing. While he also has considerable fertility aspects, as the area where his idol once stood is still to this day used for vineyards and other agricultural pursuits. Within said area, there is supposedly valued treasure to be found, and they are said to bring happiness to those who find them. In the modern day, his legend likely finds its remnants in the lawless, a folkloric creature of greed and consumption that holds its tongue. Such a creature appears in tales such as the Hessian folktale, the fat lawless, and the thin lawless. Aspects of this creature have led some to assume he may have had some relation to squirrels. Lawless was also likely covered up in parts of his legend perpetuated by St. Lawless, Lawless, from whom the oldest folk festival of Germany, Lullisfest, comes. He is even related to the turning of the new year, with some proposing he may be partially related to Baby New Year. Despite his obscurity, when we sing lullabies or when we warm and care for plants in the chill cold of winter, we find Lawless there beside us, comforting, warming, and growing us, whether waking or asleep. This deity is almost unknown. Do you need more than what I just presented there to have a level of understanding about what he is and what he does and who he's related to and where you can find him? Or do you need a whole epic about him? Most deities, you don't need a ton of info, and most people won't even look for it, and that's fine. I don't expect people to be experts on the deities. Uh, traditionally, most people would probably have one, two, three deities that they would even bother with. I mean, if you're a farmer, you might not have much use for learning anything about war deities. 
And that's okay. And there are different fields. For instance, naval lore. If you look into naval folklore, like uh, the Dread Pirate McThunder we had on a few shows ago. Um, there is lore from all over the place. They've incorporated Davy Jones, Neptune, Sirens, Mermaids, the Kraken, you know, all these different deities and traditions from all across Europe and America. Storm along. This doesn't have a direct line, but it's all tied into our people and then their sailors. And their sailors from, you know, England. Their sailors from Germany. Their sailors from Spain and France and America and Canada. And they all trade stories and talk and discuss and anything they've lived, they treat the story forward and it continues. And this is how I would recommend people behave. This doesn't mean pick whichever deity you'd like, although you can. Like I said at the beginning, you can do whatever you want. But it means that there's an organic nature to this. If you're, say, Austrian, so let's go with Austrian, and Perchta is a very big deity to you, and you marry someone who's northern French, and Melocene is a very important deity to them, Perhaps, just perhaps, your children will know both Perchta and Melocene. And depending on what they prefer and who they know, they'll carry it forward. The same way every family pushes traditions forward. There's some from the man's side and some from the woman's side. And they both are given to the kids, and the kids choose what is valuable to move forward in an ever-shifting living tradition. We're not all Vikings, and that's okay. I'm descended of Hessians and Phrygians, and the Dutch, and the French, albeit begrudgingly. <laughs> and I'm fine with that. I'm fine with not having Scandinavian ancestry. This doesn't mean I don't think Scandinavians should be proud of their ancestry. It doesn't mean that if you enjoy the stories of these epics and sagas, that you shouldn't enjoy them. I enjoy Greek stories, and I don't have a drop of Greek bud in me. But it does mean that there are things closer to your spirit and your way of being, and I encourage you to at least look and see what matters. Because they're family. Whether gods that came down, or heroes and ancestors that went up, or whatever the metaphor that works for you. And if we overfocus on this deity or that deity because they're considered the most powerful or the most popular, we ignore family members that entered myth and have stuck around as long as they can. It's raining right now, and some people might meet, th make that mean that Thor is shagging his wife, or the river of life is overflowing in the sky, or the tears of Melocene are dropping to the ground. But if we don't look into the lore, and we don't look into our stories, and we don't look inside ourselves and our families, rain is just rain. The poeticness, the spirituality of it, it's still there, but there's something missing. So go ahead, walk around in the rain, learn your stories, be all you can be. There is so much out there, it's not confined to one corner of one continent. Alright, so then um, I'm, I'm going to end off here with um, just... Well, first, I guess uh, I'm going to say that I hope everybody joins us on our next super secret broadcast uh, because we always look forward to these. 
they're unscripted. They're from the heart. It's pulling together many ideas together on the fly. So everything is genuine, which is what our people need. We're here to let you know that you're not alone and to continue being brave. Oh, thank you.